Our guest is Professor Daryl Higgins, Director of Australian Catholic University's Institute of Child Protection Studies. Daryl has already featured three times on our Child Wellbeing series, and he's back to discuss safeguarding in church, children and young people's perceptions of safety in religious and other faith-based settings. Daryl, welcome back. Good to uh, see you again. Great to be with you and your listeners. Now, this is a fascinating topic. Uh, We know that many young people have no interest in the institutional church today. They've left in droves, uh, partly due to the sex scandals that have engulfed all the churches in recent times. More broadly, though, what are young people's perceptions about their safety in faith-based settings at the moment? Yeah, well, thanks, David. It's um, it's an interesting question because I think there's a range of different ways in which young people engage with um, faith-based organisations. So it's not just sitting on a pew, you know, in church next to mum or dad. It's actually um, a, a lot of children, young people are educated in faith-based schools or might be associated with, um, you know, a youth group or a, you know, even a welfare service that might be run by a, a church or a faith-based organisation. So there's actually quite a lot of touch points in young people's lives um, relating to uh, to churches um, and other faith-based organisations. And so at the Institute of Child Protection Studies, we've been very concerned around understanding how young people themselves perceive safety. And that's been a major focus of of the work that my colleagues did for the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse. And we've been um, continuing that work to understand um, what are the kind of different risks and perceptions that young people have around where harm might be um, able to occur in the kind of youth-serving organisations that they engage with. Right. Do these perceptions, Daryl, grow over time or have they been quite sudden? Uh, We didn't ask about um, the changes. This is a one-off study that we just were looking at young people's um, commentary about the organisation that they were engaging with. And um, so some of them were talking about... um, uh, you know, a kind of youth group within a, you know, a kind of a church parish kind of context. And others were talking about, you know, kind of more traditional, um, you know, kind of church settings. Um, but right across all of those, I think the views that young people have are quite consistent with the the kind of messaging that we've been receiving around um, how young people see the um, the services that they engage with across a range of different um domains, you know, sort of from education and sport and, uh, you know, youth um, development kind of services. You know, we think of, um, you know, a range of different ways in which young people are served by their community. And these um, perceptions that they described to us um, were actually quite similar, I think, to the ways in which other young people in the past have described these other settings. Right. Uh, The study was led by your colleague of yours, Douglas Russell. What other findings, what are some of the major findings uh, that he come up with? Yeah, so the the key um, kind of themes that we extracted from um, this data um, were around four areas. So the first one was around um, concerning behaviour. So how young people, you know, um, understand behaviour as inappropriate 
or distressing um, and impacts on their sense of safety. So, you know, we we recognise that both um, uh, adults and also other young people can engage in a range of different, you know, inappropriate or concerning behaviour. And so young people used phrases like, you know, it, they looked at me in an uneasy way or they used rude or rude comments or strange or weird kind of comments or were intimidating. So they recognised this kind of category of, behavior that that um that they are experiencing um that makes them feel you know um that there is something of concern in their environment so sometimes it could be you know things like bullying um but as i said it could be inappropriate words or actions um they also referred to things such as discrimination based on gender or sexuality or ethnicity or age and they all kind of came together um, and overlapped to influence their sense of safety. The second theme, which was closely related to that, was around judgment. Um, and they felt that um, often in uh, faith-based youth-serving organisations, there was rich, there was um, a risk of being judged by others because of your thoughts, you or what you're doing, or in fact for your inaction, you know what you're not doing. Um, and that was particularly worrying for young people even in, you know, a very structured context, such as a, you know, a, a church or a, a parish service or a youth um, service where they didn't quite know what they were supposed to be doing and they felt that they might be judged for doing the wrong thing, you know, um, sitting in the wrong place, you know, engaging in inappropriate um, behaviours for that context. So that sense that, you know, others, so other adults um, or other young people might say that's not the right thing to do. And so they feared that kind of uh, judgment from others. Some real lessons there in terms of how we set up power structures in organisations where young people risk feeling judged um, for who they are and for what they do. And then that leads into the third um, theme, which is really around power. So that sense of not being um, empowered um, at a particular point in time was really of concern to young people. And so when they felt um, disempowered. They felt that they were at risk of being taken advantage of, um, that other people might manipulate them or tell them what to say. Um, and, and also using phrases like it's hard to say no to that higher person. So sometimes they were talking there around, you know, it could be the minister of religion, it could be the priest, it could be a deacon, it could be, um, you know, a youth group leader, it could even be, you know, another older young person who was in a position of authority um, or responsibility within that um, faith-based setting. Right. Then the final theme, and this one was a really interesting and complex one, was around the concept of familiarity, um, that they felt that, you know, knowing people helps you to feel safe. So that sense of trust, that sense of connection, that sense of feeling at home, you know, that feeling of familiarity was something that they found really positive um, and was necessary in order to have that kind of reciprocity um, between, um, you know, themselves and others in the group. And the really challenging thing, I think, for, uh, for us in the safeguarding community is that we often pinpoint the issue of grooming as being one of those things that we want to try and stamp out in youth serving organisations. So that misuse of 
trust and familiarity um, that occurs in, in many youth-serving contexts that can be misused by someone with the intention of, you know, engaging a young person in a um, in, in a sexually abusive behaviour um, is something that, you know, is, is a tool that's used by a, a perpetrator. But what young people are telling us is the complete absence of that, so where there's a, a lack of familiarity in a setting, actually um, takes away from their sense of safety. So some really um, challenging um, findings, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned uh, uh, things like bullying and that, and of course, you can find bullying uh, in, in all areas of life, not just uh, in faith-based organisations. So some of those perceptions the young people had um, are really just not uh, related to faith-based organisations, are they? No, that's right. I think what we're seeing here is a lot of similarities between the different contexts. And just because it might be, you know, a, a, a religious um, organisation um, or being run by, um, you know, faith-based um, uh, personnel doesn't mean that those organisations are immune from the same kind of problems um, that other organisations have. On the on the flip side, though, I think that there are some um, easy wins because I think often faith based organisations are premised around this notion of um, you know creating a family like structure. So, in a way, that's what young people are saying is an attraction to them that does help them feel safe. But I think what we have to as adults. Um, in youth serving organisations, make sure that we've got that right balance and that we're asking young people around how um, they're interpreting these actions that we might be putting in place to try and build that sense of trust, to build that sense of familiarity, that it doesn't at the same time allow for inappropriate behaviours to occur. We don't want to create opportunities for grooming, but yet we don't want to have the absence of familiarity where in and of itself, that absence is something that young people say makes them feel unsafe. Yeah, no, that's a good point, which leads me to my next question, uh, Daryl. Uh, the Catholic Church and other faith-based organisations have a duty of care towards young people, as we know. Many have failed dismally, not just in the Catholic Church, but across the board. It was a terrible shock how unsafe children were for a long period of time. Uh, would the study findings confirm that? Yeah, look, we weren't actually asking about their um, their experience, their personal experiences of lack of safety in an organisation. We were asking them to reflect generally around how they um, would feel if something was to occur, what would make them feel safe, what would make them feel unsafe. Um, and so, you know, for ethical reasons, we, we were not wanting to prompt disclosures of harm that they might personally have experienced. But I think that, um, you know, as I said before, those those four themes that we, um, uh, you know, identified in this particular study are ones that really go to the heart of what's already been um, uh, identified through the Royal Commission and through a range of different um, inquiries at, you know, state level and, you know, within particular institutions as well um, that identify what are some of the, um, you know, kind of toxic cultures that many organisations um, can easily develop. And I think the the key message for me is that the, the critical ingredient for understanding how to move forward here is to actually include children and young people because their voice 
of what is um, making them feel safe, what is making them feel unsafe is actually going to be the key driving force of how we move forward. If we do it without children and young people, then we're likely to trip over ourselves and to get into problems around particularly that last theme of, you know, reducing the sense of familiarity, which ironically is going to increase that sense of lack of safety for children and young people. Sure. Uh, you mentioned the Royal Commission a few times. The Catholic Church introduced new procedures to safeguard young people, as we know. Is it enough or is it a case of uh, too little, too late, do you think? Oh, look, I don't think that we can ever say in relation to child safety that's enough. Um, I always push the line that um, this is a constant journey that we're on. And if we ever think we've made it, then we haven't. Um, you know, and, and we know that children and young people's... Um, uh, views of of safety and their views of organizations generally are likely to change first of all as they grow older and mature their own personal views change as new cohorts of young people come in um, and become part of the organization they've got their own different sets of personalities and circumstances and of course you know the life trajectories of of each kind of cohort of children are likely to shift and change depending what's going on in the rest of their environment. Um, you know, my my childhood or your childhood is not the same as um, the current cohort of children and young people who are who are growing up. So we constantly have to be alert to that um, diversity of young people that we are working with and we are serving, and to those developmental shifts that are automatically going to happen. So. We never can have a set and forget. We've got a perfect safeguarding environment. Stop, don't do anything else. It has to be constantly alive and particularly enlivened by the voice of children and young people throughout every stage. Sure. So sort of constantly updated. Uh, we, as you said, we ne we've never got it right. Or It's like anything in life. You can improve upon anything. and it, It's a matter of improving it all the time. That's right. Terrific. Um, have the traditional churches lost a few generations without any hope of them coming back to the church, do you think? Oh, look, I'm I'm not a sociologist or a, um, you know, uh, what's the word, a fortune teller of the um, directions of, of churches. But I think that um, what we, we are seeing, um, you know, across society is probably a shift in the nature of the way that a whole range of different organisations engage with children and young people. Um, you know, in, in Australia, we have um, churches and, and other faith-based organisations as a, you know, relatively major provider of education services. And while that's been perhaps dropping slightly in terms of um, enrolments, it's still a major um, sector, if you like, within education. Um, whether that's the preferences of the children and young people themselves or of their families, one certainly can't tell that from the data. But um, I think that if you look at the, the different ways in which young people are engaging with, um, you know, with each other and also with, uh, you know, more formal um, organisations, of course, the whole, you know, online presence is a really important one. And so organisations that are getting themselves online and connecting with, you know, their target audience, if you like, in that way, um, are really seeing uh, a positive shift in terms of that, um, that level of engagement. So I think it's about thinking differently. Um, and when we say that we're a, um, you know, a youth serving organisation, just to think about the the where and the how and the what 
it is that we are doing. It's probably going to look very different, you know, in 10 years' time than what it does now, and it certainly already is looking different from, you know, 10 or 20 years ago. Yeah, there's constant change there. You might need your crystal ball for this question too, uh, but in my parents' time, the local parish was a source of great community spirit and comfort for families, uh, and just as recently as the late 70s, early 80s, I guess. Do you think that's a thing of the past? Uh, look, I think that in many ways um, it's it's a thing of the past just because, as I said before, the, the ways in which young people are engaging with their wider world is shifting. You know, they can be sitting in a classroom and engaging online with someone who might be sitting across the other side of the classroom or across the other side of the world. Um, and I think even our, you know, formal institutions like schools are kind of struggling to keep up with what does that actually mean for, you know, for learning, for, you know, good pedagogy, but for good social and emotional development. So we're living in a changed and changing world. Um, I think the the issue for, um, you know, for churches and other faith-based organisations is to bring um, in the wisdom that um, families and particularly the children and young people themselves um, can provide as to what it is that they want and the ways in which they want to engage. And it might not be a, you know, a 10am service on a Sunday morning it might be through um, engagement in a community service. It might be around addressing climate change. And of course, you know, there's lots of um, good uh, history and tradition of uh, the church, you know, in, in inverted commas, um, standing up to society and being a leader in terms of injustice and, um, and change. And if that's uh, where we want to, um, you know, see ourselves as engaging in the world in a really weird, in a really um, uh, genuine way uh, that um, meets the needs of children and young people's desire to, um, you know, to address things that are worrying them, such as, you know, climate change, then it probably does mean changing where we engage and how we engage with them on these issues of personal justice, which, you know, for many are actually at the heart of uh, Christianity and many other of the faith traditions. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. And the church has always been a great leader in the, the areas of social justice and helping those less fortunate, as we know. And climate change is clearly an issue that uh, is worrying a lot of people, not just young people. So the, the, it's probably true to say the church just needs to look at different ways of getting the message across. As you said, people aren't necessarily going to go to church on a Sunday now, but there are other ways the church can stay very much engaged with communities. That's right. You know, rather than hear a sermon about how we should um, care for God's environment, um, actually, you know, attending a rally or going and picking up um, rubbish from the beach might be a, a, a way of putting into action the, um, you know, the key messages that uh, that we're trying to communicate. Yeah, no, very good point. Daryl, what more needs to be done to reassure young people that they are indeed safe in a church setting? Is there anything more that can be done? Yeah, look, I'd frame it in a different way. I think what we have to do is ask young people what more would they like us to do. That's the that's the thing that we need to do is start putting in place structures and processes so that that's a regular question that's tripping off the tongue of leaders um, within faith-based organisations. Um, we probably don't hear it very much from the pulpit, 
Um, we probably don't hear it very much at, you know, youth group meetings um, or other uh, appropriate places where, you know, youth serving organisations that come from a faith-based standpoint are engaging with children and young people. And yet I would say that should be, you know, the fundamental thing that sh we should be asking is how are they feeling? What do they want? What do they think we should be um, doing or changing about the way in which we operate? Um, that's really been kind of the biggest learning exercise for me across my career is even when I thought I absolutely knew what the right answer was to something, you know, um, when I actually engaged with children and young people directly and got their perceptions about what was worrying them, um, it totally changed my um, agenda and my perceptions of where we need to head. So I think we have to allow for the disruptive potential that asking that question can have and be prepared for um, things to change. And if we're not prepared for things to change, then maybe we shouldn't ask the question. Yeah, that's another good point. So we, we have to be prepared for some brutal truths, I think. Um, might be, not be something people want to hear in certain areas, but it's a, it's a very good point. Um, and uh, long gone are the days where children should be seen and not heard. Thankfully, we do listen to young people now and we should listen to them more and more. Absolutely. Uh, so we're closing in on the uh, end here, uh, Daryl, but perhaps some of the main um, study findings you'd like to reiterate? Yeah, so it's really just those four themes that interacted and um, came together in, um, you know, in young people's descriptions, if you like, of what they valued and what um, helped them feel safe in um, faith-based uh youth serving organisations, um, but really those four themes again of, you know, behaviour of others, whether it be adults or other older children and young people that is of concern, the risk of judgment and feeling, you know, blamed and out of place and doing the wrong thing, that sense of disempowerment, that there's this power differential between, you know, adults and between young people. And then that sense of familiarity being really important to their sense of safety and its absence being a key risk factor. So pulling all that together, I think it really means that, um, you know, essentially we have to be brave enough to ask children and young people what it is that they're feeling and what we can be doing differently to help them feel safe if, in fact, we do want to get to the heart of the um, the strategies that the Royal Commission was um, asking us to um, engage in. Yeah, and it's vitally important, as we've seen, and after a couple of years of pandemic, it's just made the problem worse, but there are a lot of young people uh, struggling with mental health issues at the moment. You hear about it all the time. Absolutely. So whatever we can do to help that, that's a good thing. And I, I imagine families can play a part in that too with their, their children being open and honest with them as much as possible. Absolutely. You know, I think that um, parents can be modelling, if you like, what we're asking of these youth-serving organisations. And, of course, it is something that many parents do um, a terrifically wonderful job of um, checking in with their, their children and um, finding out, you know, how they're feeling and whether they're feeling safe. But I think that they don't always connect that with and when they go outside of the home, um, how do they feel about this particular organisation or this particular context or, or setting and the other people that they're engaging with there. So building those, um, you know, trusting relationships, um, parents are absolutely the key to that. Yeah. And uh, unlike years ago, when perhaps if, if a child had said to a 
mum and dad, oh, I've got to worry about a certain priest or a certain whatever, and they were dismissed. I think parents these days are smart enough to know, well, if the child has a bad feeling about something, they're probably right. Yeah, look, absolutely, that's what we should be doing. I think that we need more research to actually understand how far parents are along that strategy. My worry is that, in fact, there are still lots of parents who um, haven't really got on board with that and who are not necessarily going to be the um, sources of support for their children that, um, you know, that they would probably aspire to be but probably just have not been, um, had their own personal capability built to know how to have those conversations in a way that doesn't leave children feeling somehow dismissed or blamed when they, you know, try to speak up about something that's concerning them. One of the other things that um, uh, has come through with uh, some of the research from my colleague, Tim Moore, is the importance of um, also addressing the small things. So when children and young people do speak up about something that might seem relatively trivial or insignificant from an adult point of view, if we're dismissive of that, how are you children going to speak up about something that um, might even be more serious or more worrying or more harmful to them? And of course, um, child sexual abuse is the pinnacle of that. You know, it's one of the most challenging things to speak about. And if we haven't created the environment where it's okay to speak up about concerns, particularly practicing some of those concerns that are, 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 are perhaps easier to talk about for children and young people, then, um, you know, we're really not um, not serving children um, well if we aren't creating those um, positive environments and making it routine and reinforcing positively when children do raise their voices and um, speak up about concerns, no matter how seemingly trivial we might think they are. Yeah, and then often they're not trivial at all, and they're certainly not trivial to the children concerned. That could be a, a good, could be a good podcast for another time. Daryl, uh, we've run out of time. Thank you very much for your time. Uh, stay safe. Thank you. You too.